BBCC episode 19, my realization of the day. Tim Curry has not one, but two iconic queer characters in the genre film canon. Pennywiser Dr. Frankenfurter, which theatrical alien diva donned their makeup the best. Close call, but I'm going to edge Pennywise considering he lives in a sewer and manages to keep his mascara and eyeliner clean while Frank can't even go for a swim without his eyes running all over the place. Let's do the time warp again. A new Bloody Blunt Cinema Club starts now. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh. 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 He's uh he's very high today. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Blay Blunt Cinema Club. I'm your host, Devon Taylor, aka Bloody Blunts, aka Jesus, aka Dr. Frankenfurter's side piece. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Bloody Blunt Cinema Club is a podcast where we examine the subgenres of this glorious horror genre that I love so much. We are talking horror musicals all of September, and I had to do a little switcherooski for this episode. This was supposed to be the episode with my lovely lady, Brittany, but she wasn't feeling good, and then I had to go out of town for some things, so scheduling got all kinds of wacky. And luckily, I had already recorded the last episode for the month, which is with filmmaker Maggie Levin. So that is what you're going to hear today. So just giving you guys a heads up, yeah, this month has been a little bit crazy. And if at any time during the interview you hear me reference the time that this is the last horror musical episode, it is not. We still got a couple more after this. It is not the end of September. Um, any other time references that I make, just ignore them because, you know, shit happens and I had to make things work, but it is all good because, you know what, I'm making some really cool shit right now. This week was kind of crazy, but it'll all be worth it when you guys see this project that I got to work on. Another music video, I released, um, my first music video that I got to co-direct and write on and act a little bit in last week. Check out Get What You Want by my friend Easy Friend. It is a not only a great song, but I mean this video though was so fun to make. We did a black and white spaghetti western and now with this um, some of the members of the same crew we teamed up for another music video and I got to go up into Guadalupe Dunes and shoot some real godlike shit. It's going to be really cool. But yeah, so life has been a little bit crazy right now, but it is all good because I am still powering through. We're still doing this podcast. We're still talking horror musicals. And um, this guest, she is awesome. Maggie Levin is 
Um, one of the first friends that I made whenever I came to L.A., she had reached out to me on Instagram before I even moved out here and was just like, hey, I like your stuff. And, you know, like, I think we should link up and I'll introduce you to some people. And that's exactly what she did. Uh, we linked up whenever we got here. Um, she brought me on to a couple projects to help out on. Um, I got to take pictures for her uh, Rocky Horror Hipster show for a night. It was super fun, and she's just a great person. She's a person I go to whenever I have questions about, like, you know, how things in the film world work, because she is this on-the-rise filmmaker who's been making things for such a long time, but I mean, but she is really coming into her own right now, and uh, she's just a wonderful person to talk anything film-related with. So, this is going to be a fantastic episode. Before we get to that interview, though, just a quick reminder If you like what you're hearing here on the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club, please go onto Apple Podcasts slash iTunes and write a five-star review. Click five stars, write a few sweet words. I would greatly appreciate it so that way more people can hear about the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. So now, without further ado, let's go ahead and get to the actual episode stuff. Yes, 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 we have come to the final week of Horror Musicals Month here on the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. I'm very excited to talk these two movies that we're talking for the guests that I have on today. Speaking of guests, I already kind of talked about her in the intro, but we are talking with a good friend of mine. She is a filmmaker, and her name is Maggie Levin. Welcome to the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, thank I'm very you. excited. I am very excited too. These these two movies uh, paired very well together, I'd say. And um, you were a real wine and cheese. Yeah. Combo, oh yes, definitely some wine and cheese here. And um, I mean, you were kind of the person that uh, I switched the month that I was going to do for this podcast. I had a whole different thing, and then I was like, wait, no horror musicals this is where it's at right now i'm honored i'm honored that you designed a theme around my being ridiculous on instagram over right it was like sort of because of my phantom of the opera instagram stories yeah you were you were watching phantom and you were just sharing your glee (laughs) with everyone because i mean there's just a there's just a very special mood that comes along with watching musicals in general but then, of course, the horror musicals are the especially weird ones, you know? Yeah. Well, and there's, like, a few of them, especially the cultier or the more gothy, horror-y musicals, that, like, beat drop feeling that you get um, when when the title song or whatever. It's, like, we're gonna, probably going to talk about it when we get to Rocky, but, like, Time Warp gives me that vibe. Uh, and... Mm the uh title track of phantom of the opera gives me that vibe it's just like 
you go, you, your little butterflies in your stomach start to happen, and you're like, ooh, 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 we're going to do it. We're going to do this stupid thing. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's why I love musicals, man. Yeah, it just, like, you, you like, once that, that, that singular note hits in, and then you're like, okay, it's, this is yeah. the vibe right now. This is the mood. Like, this yeah. is happening now. And yeah, it's like, it's the get out of your mind moment, like... <laughs> <laughs> exactly really, like yeah. I've, I've talked it on the on the previous episodes you know i have that that moment with like nightmare before christmas that you know during this is halloween that i'm just like i am fist yeah like you're literally fist pumping you're like yes we are doing it yeah. so going and, down that tree yes <laughs> yes and then whenever I and then whenever I was like, oh my gosh, I was like, and then I have to show Maggie the lore. I was like, this just like screams your your vibe and aesthetic all over it. So absolutely. Let, so let's give the the people a little background on you a little bit. So you are a filmmaker. You've done um, everything from little web series to music videos to you just had your feature debut this past year as well. Which, which I was like looking at my letterbox. I completely like forgot it was 2020 because I was like, I I felt like I watched that movie like so long ago and I was like, oh wow, that did happen in 2020 as well. It's really like, it feels like from the before times and it is kind of a horror musical. It's like a sneaky musical. Um, my Valentine, which it did for uh, Blumhouse and who is into the dark series. And it came out, right that like week of valentine's day this year uh but it does feel like a different it feels like 50 years ago honestly like 2020 is a million lifetimes (laughs) every month it has been Uh, such a long year (laughs) just like new shades of apocalypse every month and uh what i love about being in la right now is the past couple days waking up with the orange sun and the the ash uh, raining down on your car and it's just like yeah this feels very the vibe (laughs) yeah like what 2020 has spiritually felt like all year it's been like a yeah it's been like a whole twilight zone like type feeling like yeah especially yesterday like waking up with like yeah the the orange i was like oh my gosh like it is like glowing and then yeah just like ash Mm -hmm. i was like it literally felt like the apocalypse and miles recording another episode i was just like you know, LA is on fire as per usual, but like <laughs> that's that's the normacy in 2020 for us, you know. Yeah. But you know, uh, I, I was trying to describe to my mother the particular weirdness of it being of it of the world being sunset colored first thing in the morning. It's like you're used to seeing orange in the sky. But at the wrong hour, casting that light onto everything, you're like, something's wrong. I am in a Mad Max movie. This is not right. <laughs> or, it, or it has um, like very like Mandy vibes too. Yes. Like that's yes. exactly like what it felt like yesterday morning to me. I was just like, I felt like I was in Mandy for a moment. Yeah. And when you feel like you're in Mandy, you're like, this is, we're in danger. <laughs> your, your, fear, your fear receptors should be going off pretty hard. Uh, it, I think it would make sense that Panos Cosmatos would be the architect behind 2020. I think that sounds about, that sounds about correct. But so, yeah. So when, so what is, uh, like, when did you kind of get into your background filmmaking and then kind of where did your horror influences come in into that? Um, 
I came to horror pretty late. Um, I'm, I'm a theater kid, which is uh, going to be evident when we start talking about Rocky Horror for sure. Um, but I moved to LA about 10 years ago, almost exactly 10 years ago. And uh, as soon as I got here, I was like, oh, weird, there's no theater going on really. Um, but I had already like in college ran a theater company. And so this was sort of my, uh, my official reason to convert to filmmaking was location based. Mm -hmm. um, so I started out doing, as you mentioned, web series, like I, I did the directed the series called The Friendless Five for full screen, which was like a teen mystery series, did a bunch of music videos for people like Big Data, you worked on that one, that stop motion video and Anna Akana, um, who's one of my biggest collaborators and is actually wound up being in uh, my Valentine. Um, and I really was just sort of on the digital filmmaking, independent uh, festival circuit, like to just mm. any way in constantly self-generating material, taking classes at UCLA, using my homeschooling background from my teen years as a way to like self-educate about film and take my theater skills and try to channel them into the film business. Um, and then I had my sort of lucky break um, last year, early last year, my gosh, a million lifetimes ago. And, and like there were sort of upward trajectory signs leading up to that, but it was really um, the moment that uh, Scott Derrickson took an interest in a script of mine um, that led to my meeting with Blumhouse, that led to me directing, writing and directing my Valentine. And then even though I had had other sort of channels of minor opportunities, that was the that was the breakthrough one. And that was the chance to like really prove I could do what I do. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think the there's a lot of stuff in the works right now, depending on how much the world opens up um, over the next couple of months slash year. But um, you know, the main thing that I that is publicly announced is is just that I'm writing the sequel to uh, Labyrinth, another musical. <laughs> another musical. Um, it all comes full yeah, circle. Uh, totally, and like a legendary one at that, and like very high camp with uh, some scary components. I believe that Sarah falling down uh, the tunnel of helping hands in Labyrinth, which is like yeah, I'm yeah, just yeah, yeah, making. I'm making uh, gestures that no one on a podcast will be able to see, but that's like a terrifying moment that I watched as a child. And I was like, um, decided that I didn't like scary things, <laughs> uh, which leads me to the horror component. I came to horror very late um, because I was a giant Freddy cat. I saw scream when I was a kid and couldn't sleep for weeks. Um, mm. So my, my the horror things that I love are weird they're kind of like a they almost form like a moat around proper horror and then I really got a like a full-scale immersive horror education in the past couple of years and have discovered um that I just like deeply love gore uh, <laughs> like I really love like green room just sort of the messier the kills, the better I feel about it. I just, I find I've crossed through some threshold of finding it terrifying to finding it very funny. Um, yeah, some... that's, that's, I think the shortest version of my deal that I can do. 
No, I mean, it, I mean, one, it's like your, your journeys, you know, what's interesting is cause I've kind of had this discussion with other guests as well is that, you know, the, the real deal artists, you know, will kind of, will adapt to, to the circumstances and the situation. So it's like, you kind of had to do that early whenever you got here, you know, adapting mm-hmm. the theater to the film, which is like funny. Cause it's like, you know, that seems like pretty typical for like actors to kind of do that crossover, you know? But rarely the people like the writers and uh, actual like creators behind it, you know, you don't hear that, you know, usually once they kind of go into one lane, it's like, well, that look, that's about the lane they're going to stay in. So it's like, well, you know, you got to do what you got to do, you know, with in lieu of the circumstances, you know. And then you just kind of yeah. Well, and part of it was just realizing that as much as I loved theater, um, your audience is by nature just very very limited so wanting to do things that had real real impact and and also wanting to do the kinds of things that I loved like there's plenty of theater that I loved growing up but I uh, as I started making it I was like oh I think I have a kind of a knack for filmmaking because I actually love it so much I am a, a total cinephile so I and and you know there's a larger discussion to be had there someday for sure but mm-hmm. I think about the sort of like um, the self gatekeeping that I did in uh, like around my college years surrounding film has a lot to do with like my perception of a film director is that they were male. You know, I loved David Fincher. I loved Tarantino. I loved Edgar Wright. And I was like, those are all dudes. So I didn't really, I, I, I didn't you realize put some that, like, that was a thing I was doing to myself until way later. Yeah. It's like a, it's a really warped Per perception that when you don't see when you're not exposing yourself to like you know seeing yourself in in creative work then you're kind of being like oh well that just means I'm not supposed to be in it either and it's that's why like, we have the conversation a, about representation mattering is because like you don't you don't even realize like the internalized mm-hmm. misogyny of keeping myself out of, out of the gig that I could have actually been doing this whole time had a, entirely to do with just my perception of what was going on in the world but anyway, uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I had, I had a like similar thought with somebody like that. Um, somebody, I was having a conversation with a friend. They, they texted me talk about how much they disliked Candyman, which if you guys know me is like a oh, dagger through my heart. But then whenever I was like, you know, we were just like kind of, but she was intrigued to see like why I liked it so much. And like me kind of putting that attachment to him being like, well, I hadn't seen, you know, a, a, an icon of horror with black skin on screen before I hadn't seen that before. I didn't know that that was like a possible thing, you know, it was like the same. Oh my gosh. It matters when the moment you see yourself, you're like, Oh, Oh, cool. (laughs) I mean, I could, it's literally, it's like the same thing as like before I saw Lenny Kravitz or Prince playing a guitar. I didn't know that there were like, you know, Brown rock stars. I didn't know that was a thing either, you know, but yeah. So it's like, once you, once you kind of see yourself, it definitely kind of changes your perception on things a little bit. So as you said, you've been kind of re-educating yourself into horror a little bit more and kind of immersing yourself. And I know that you, um, you do the thread on Twitter where you're keeping up with, uh, movies that you watch by female directors as well, Mm -hmm. which, um, I, didn't even realize whenever I recommended you the lore that it was, I totally forgot that it was a female director. And I was like, Oh, I was like, even more perfect. So I had totally even forgotten that. But yeah, I was 
super excited to see that myself. I like was just looking into the the film like as it was starting to play, and I was like, oh, I wonder. You know, the name is very long and very Polish, so I was like, this might not be a lady, but I think I think it is. Yeah. So, um, what are a a couple movies that you might have watched recently or in the past few months or something that you know you that you really enjoyed that uh, kind of gives the audience a, a sense of your taste in film a little bit? Oh man, I've I've watched so much stuff, uh, you know, and I've watched I've done a lot of rewatching um, mm-hmm. because pandemic we need comfort movie and film. Agreed. Um, uh things that i have particularly enjoyed have been i love the great on hulu i actually just started watching dave on hulu which is also spectacular dave is so good um yeah i re-watched book smart a couple nights ago and really loved the shit out of that for the second or third or fourth time um of the pandemic releases i think i have um i really loved uh Palm Springs. These are all sort of falling in the comedy range. At the beginning of the pandemic, I was doing a big educational, like I watched the faculty and I watched all the I Know What You Did last summers. And uh I think I I watched I watched Suspiria for the first time, which was like <sighs> I mean Suspiria and I watched Carrie for the first time, which was like oh. um yeah. Yeah, because I didn't realize that I had been inadvertently ripping off Carrie for my entire <laughs> life, and then I then I saw it. I was like, "Oh, right, this is, this is who I've been this whole time." I just didn't realize who I was stealing from. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that kind of gives a sense of the mix. I think I've rewatched Euphoria like three times since Ooh. the pandemic started. So that that's a big that's a big one. I was wanting, I was wanting to rewatch Euphoria lately too. I just like kind of had like that hankering. I was like, man, I was like, that show was so it good. It is so good. And the you- the filmmaking is astonishing. Like, and and the casting. That's another thing. It's like Euphoria and Booksmart. Whoever I don't think it's the same casting director, but like those age group discoveries that like mm-hmm. those two casting directors have found such incredible people who are so um just pitch perfect like casting is such a a undervalued part of the process um but it is an art form the right people the right tool for every job is is so important in the actor capacity oh yeah 100 percent. i i saw a movie that like uh, a trailer for a movie that like just dropped on shutter and like it's supposed to be like a high school movie I mean, they just straight up look like they are all 32. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, man, I was like that. And like if in and that can be played like fine if they like do it in a satire way. But like I just feel like nobody does that, though. People just like cast no. these like old ass people for, uh, to play teenagers and it like gets yeah. under my skin. So like, yeah, like definitely with Euphoria, they they hit that really well. Uh, you shouted out Dave. I definitely love Dave as well. I mean. We need more musical esque TV shows as well, and like Dave, like almost counts. Like they, yeah, like you get we get a couple musical oh, numbers an episode at least. <laughs> it's a hip hop TV show for sure, and a hip hop comedy TV show. I mean, it's just like hitting a lot of notes that are unusual. Um, I, and I 
yeah i love it it's so fucking funny yeah um, and then and then i mean what else suspiria and carrie were two those are two big like those are two big first time watches i didn't watch the original suspiria for the first time until it was i don't know like three three or four years ago and i got to see it in theaters and like nice. I straight up cried during the opening like sequence. Like I was like, this the is so color. I was like, this is so beautiful. I was like, what the f-? I was like, oh my gosh. And it's then, stunning. Actually, since you're on the, a kick in this direction, have you have you seen opera? I'm assuming you have. Have I seen Fam of the Opera? The Argento. No, oh, no, no. Oh, oh just Argento's opera. opera. No. I have not just seen opera. Argento's opera. I think you would like it. I watched I watched that for the first time also. It's like it's not on the level that Suspiria is mm-hmm. it's fucking wacky. Um, it's very 80s, um, but it has a Phantom of the Opera. You know, it takes place in a in an opera company. It's uh, it's gnarly. I've been <laughs> it's really I've, gross. I've been catching up on uh, some Argento and Bava. Uh, definitely need to go on like a because those are really fun for like like uh, marathon nights. Those are like yeah. put on a few Jalo films. So as far as some recommendations, like on something maybe you haven't seen, have you seen uh, Revenge? It came out a couple years ago. Um, it's just titled Revenge. Um, I'm doing a, by the time this ep- podcast episode comes out, there will be a YouTube video about this movie out. But Revenge is a, um, it's a film by a French director. Her name was Coralie Farge. And it was her directorial debut. She wrote and directed it. And it is a movie where this gal, um, she goes out to meet her boyfriend who is, of course, married and like he's a piece of shit to go out and (laughs) hang out in the desert, you know. And they go out and hang out in the desert. A couple of his hunting buddies show up a little bit early. One of them rapes her and then Mm -hmm. they try to kill her. Keyword try. Um, yep. She um, uh, transforms herself into a, into this badass um, after she like saves herself from dying, and then um, turns it on them, and now she is hunting them down. And um, it is just so great because coming because like with rape revenge films, like when it's directed by a man and like coming from a man's POV. It's still like kind of they still manage to like exploit the women a little bit before they actually get to like have their revenge and like okay you know like there's still an exploitive element there with here yeah they don't do that like they keep all the power to Jen here and um the best part of it is the antagonist is naked half of this movie we need more scared <laughs> naked men running around in horror hey. films. So um, I would definitely check out this film. You will absolutely love it. It's gorgeous. as um, has this really cool synth score to it. It is really fun. Um, a very great film. And then um, you, you love Euphoria, so I'm assuming, have you seen Assassination Nation? Yes. Oh, okay. big fave. Make it, love that movie. Just making yeah. sure you yeah. you've gotten that one because um I didn't That know was it. a key that was like actually a key design reference uh that we used for Valentine when we were talking about some of the end kills. I was like, we need this level, we need the bathroom, 
uh, is it Sufi Waterhouse? Who's the lead in that movie? Uh, you know, it's it's lead girl and Joel McHale in the bathroom. Yeah, like, yeah. It's my oh blood. yeah, I remember you did show me. Uh, I think like your like mood boards for that, and yeah. then I remember seeing that. Okay, yeah, because ooh, that movie is just. That movie's so good. Like that It's great. The the assault on the on the house like midway through that like midway like climaxing is just ah, uh, chef's kiss. If you guys have not seen Assassination Nation, it is currently streaming on Hulu and it is uh it was directed by the same guy that created Euphoria. So there's still yeah. there's similar tones there and the way that he handles the themes are really great. And then one more film to recommend you. Um, what was it? Oh, have you seen uh, Super Dark Times? No. It Write is, these down. It is a movie. It's on Netflix right now. It's a coming-of-age film. The way I describe this to people, uh, the short form, is um, if Nirvana's heart-shaped box was a movie, it would be this movie. It's very. Hey, it's a very. It's a very moody film. Uh, it's a coming of age film about these boys, group of boys being boys, you know, and like it's very authentically written and um, a traumatic event happens and it, you know, changes their friendship and the two of them, you know, after this event happens and you just see the the paths that they go down after this event happens and awesome. it is it's just like it's so it's like it's so moody and like melancholic but like also like it still it like brings this tone about of like how when you're a teenage boy how everything is sexual even how even if you are dealing with some crazy dark shit going on you are still somehow a horny boy that that is like kind of a theme in this movie that's um, great but i so i highly recommend checking it out it's uh it's really good it's really dark um and i i rewatched it like a, a few weeks ago and it's just uh it's a it's a real one i think that's one that would be right up your alley wicked i'm definitely going to check it out hell yeah but now now that we are primed up and ready to go we have some horror musicals to talk about guys yeah <gasps> The Rocky Horror Picture Show, released in 1975, directed by Jim Sharman, originally done by Richard O'Brien, who also plays Riff Raff in the film, and he adapted his own work into the screenplay for the film, starring Tim Curry, Barry Bostwick, Susan Sarandon, and Richard O'Brien, and many more. Maggie, why did you pick this movie? I mean, Rocky is one of those movies that if it, uh happens to you at the right time under the right circumstances it becomes a part of the fabric of your persona i'm one of those people um it was i first saw it when i i was just exactly the right age and uh i.e my early teens and it was one of those things that my mom would let me if i was going to a midnight showing of rocky at the chelsea cinema I was allowed to stay out as late as I wanted. She was not worried about me. I was safe at Rocky. Um, And so I would go pretty frequently. It was also like the number one place that I would take 
boys on dates and like it's also where I learned how to do what I thought was dressing cool but it wasn't um you know it's like yeah you know incorporating like trashy lingerie into your day wear I was mm-hmm. like this is a thing um and so the the scene surrounding Rocky was as por- as important to me as the movie initially and then as I got older more and more things started to sort of come out of the movie and be of great importance to me among them the songs are just spectacular and they are this like glorious hybrid of uh, kind of like surf rock honky-tonk piano and then like glam and proper like 50s rock and roll it's just an interesting mixture of styles and and then of course there is the like gender fucked hyper sexual uh point of view that can really only come from somebody who went through I think what Richard O'Brien went through of like being like trans and like ace and like he's been all they at this point um all over the map as a human being um and is single-handedly I think responsible for millions of queer people having a place to safely go and understand themselves um so and that's not even getting into just like the general fun of what the movie is like (laughs) the movie's just a lot of fun yeah um and you can kind of feel it's like cheapness like the camp of it all is spectacular and then at the center of it is just this iconic undeniably great performance by Tim Curry I I think without Tim Curry that movie is not the sensation that it is it's like sometimes you just see greatness in one performance Mm -hmm. and that is you know top 10 for me certainly (laughs) yeah it's it like Rocky Horror was definitely the movie that kind of taught me like what like whenever people talked about like cult movies like cult classics and I was like oh like because this is like the true definition of you know of a movie that you know at the time that came out was kind of misunderstood didn't make that much money was only seen by certain people but then you know it just was kept alive by people that were you know these very specific people that were touched and affected and changed by something in this film and and yeah like you said it it is just one of those movies if it like hit you in that time when you were figuring yourself out you know it hits you hard mm-hmm. and so i watched it in i watched it in high school so it was definitely like one of those times for me as well like i you know i this was whenever i just started hanging out with the choir kids and theater kids and you know and you know the the queer kids of that area and I was like, and, you know, we did the whole, you know, dress up and watch it. And, you know, we did all the things. And it was in and, and the fact that, you know, I still had that experience, you know, now and people have just had that experience, like, you know, over the years of this, you know, like the running tradition of watching it at midnight and, you know, with props and, you know, the shadow performances, you yeah. know, obviously you were so inspired. You did your own version of Rocky Horror as well the Rocky Horror Hipster Show I was um lucky enough to get to see that the last time you guys put it on and it was I mean it was exactly 
what it should be you know it was you. you know it was people it was we were all hot and sweaty wearing <laughs> glamorous outfits everybody was leaking glitter I mean uh-huh. it was just so much fun and you know infusing you know the the songs that Rocky Horror has that already has they're already amazing and then also bringing in you know the the um you know kind of jukebox musical element you know and doing mm-hmm. modern contemporary songs mixed in with it it was super fun so to just let your audience know the Rocky Horror Hipster show was this club kind of like remix concert hybrid mashup of like rocky stuff and then like glam stuff current songs and and an energy uh that could only be brought by the very specific people who made up that cast and that band um it was sort of like this evolving uh inside joke covered in glitter that uh, you know, I feel just so blessed to have been able to put on at this at this place called Three Clubs in Hollywood. And you know, you think I think about the hipster show now, and I'm like, that is a COVID super spreader event, <laughs> none other. Like it is the most mosh pit. You know, the audience is all standing, squashed up against each other, squashed up against the stage. Mm-hmm. It's very tactile. You know, our first year, uh, our Frankenfurter crowd surfed. And like it, it's, it's just like a, a sort of uh, like a, a rocky hive. show, <laughs> concert punk sensibility thing, um, and then it would turn into a giant dance party afterwards. Uh, so yeah, very important part of my creative life, and sort of one of the things that kept me alive and going creatively in LA for a, for a period of time where it was just like really in the hustle, really in the struggle for me. But at least from like late August until the show in October, I got to like rehearse with my friends and put on this fucking fun ass show. And it wound up being like something that was very special for all of us and special for a lot of our audience, which was really, really great. Really privileged to have been able to put that on. Yeah. I can only imagine, like you said, like when you're in like kind of the hustle and bustle of it all. And then, you know, you're, you're wanting to, you know, obviously do something that's, you know, work, work, work. But then you have something like Rocky Horror that was, you know, labor of love for you guys. And that that cathartic release that people also, you know, still get from the movie that the, you know, musical stage experience has for people as well. It, I mean, it just like really is like one of those kind of, you know, cultural phenomenons. Yeah. And it's and it's crazy. Like it really is. And then like whenever I like think back, I'm like, man, this was made in nineteen seventy five. And then when you watch it and I'm like, damn, this was made in nineteen seventy five. It's uh it's pretty wild. It's wild. Yeah. yeah. And it really there were a lot of so many interesting films, so many like daring, weird movies made in the seventies. And like you can kind of feel there was like a I don't know what happened. I don't know enough film history, but like there's there was like a big sort of explosion of trying everything, I think, in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And then a, like a retraction of like, mm-hmm. okay, we wasted a lot of money in and the then, early 80s. And yeah. then everyone started doing coke and then they made a whole bunch of weird shit again. Yes. No, um, that literally is the horror timeline exactly. Like people got yeah. weird in the 70s. 80s was all about playing it safe and doing it by the formula. 90s, everybody said, fuck the formula. They got weird again. 2000 yeah. 2000s everybody wanted to make money let's just make the same shit again and now 2010s we had another like creative upswing in horror i would say yep. 
with you yeah. know people just saying yeah whatever we're just gonna make movies now you know so I think what's cool about what go- what's going on in horror now is like the difference is like now when you now when there's a strange or, or like really off kilter horror release the critical the critic community seems to come at it from a different angle like there is a love for horror and a respect for horror as a genre that really didn't exist in those other decades so i think that that palpable difference in like how we talk about it is is really amazing and and makes it an amazing time to be a horror filmmaker actually it really does like just because you know they're they're you know, people have that creative flexibility now within the horror genre, and now it does have like a little bit more respect behind it again, even though, you know, you can just go through the timeline. There's always been good horror at some points, but yeah, we definitely are at a time where people are like starting to take it seriously again. And um, yeah, and I absolutely love it. And it's because like, you know, people are diversifying the different kinds of horror movies we have. That's like, you know, the whole reason that, like, I love exploring subgenres on this podcast. Mm -hmm. So, like, one of the segments that we have on here is called the Genre Grinders, where, you know, because we we themed the months already with the episodes, but then we're going to go down, like, a little bit further even. So, when it comes to, like, Rocky Horror, you, obviously, we have the the sci-fi B-movie parody aspect, because that's pretty much, like, what the whole thing is going for. And then, but then you also, it is such an iconic movie and as far as the queer cinema canon goes as well. And then, you know, I guess you can almost say like, even though there aren't teenagers or like kids here, this is still kind of a coming of age film in a way. Oh yeah. Which I find really interesting. That's like kind of something that stuck out to me a little bit more in just like watching it this morning. I was just like huh like of just like kind of seeing you know brad and janet kind of going from one place where they weren't in a bad place or anything but they kind of just go to a better place of and they aren't like they they don't look the actors don't look it but they are framed as teenagers like kids they are supposed to be, I think, like 17, 18 in oh. school. They're science, They're going to visit their science teacher. Oh, like, oh, yeah. That's how they get into that whole mess to begin with. So absolutely coming of age movie. Coming in both senses of the word, for sure. Because <laughs> it's rocking. Um, the, the thing that I always love about, like, in terms of metaphors within it is the... Um, is when Eddie, the uh, character played by Meatloaf, bursts out of his freezer, uh, where he's been kept. He's been kept in deep freeze since Frankenfurter took half of his brain out and put it in his new uh, sexy Rocky creation. Um, and he sings this whole like '50s kind of doo-woppy old-time rock and roll. Habituity bless my soul. I really love that rock and roll. Um, and then is axe murdered by the like glam queer. Uh, so like there's this, there's this beautiful metaphor of like aggressive masculinity mm-hmm. um, being <laughs> full on slaughtered by the like queer lady man person. Um, and I, I think of it a, a little bit as like a video killed the radio star moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to go, I, mean, I know it's probably not that deep, but I always like that it's no. symbolic 
aspect of like fuck traditional masculinity stay down oh i 100 percent agree and i also just love that this movie is a movie where even meatloaf is sexy because this entire movie is just this movie is sex in general and that was just something that Mm -hmm. made me laugh as well but yeah no i totally uh can see it there like i mean the the movie isn't known for its subtlety that's for that's for sure and then like you know and then that scene happens and then a couple scenes later not too long after that is you know i can make you a man and like i saw and then like whenever i was rewatching this morning hearing the layers of that song again i was like oh I was like, whoa. Oh, yeah. I was like, this is layers. And that song like... went through like many lyrical evolutions until it got to the movie version. Cause it used to be about this like, like magazine advertisement uh, that I think was like British about what you can, this program to make yourself look like a man. I mean, there's so much in there about mm-hmm. um, gender. The, the the presentation. Yeah. The like societal expectations of being like told. Uh, that you not being told that that's what you should be, but also being told that that's what you should want as well. Yeah. I was like, yep. whoa. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So what yeah. is and your. And I love also that it's an, it's an alien movie. And it's an alien movie. <laughs> yeah, aliens. Yeah. I, I always do forget, like, they are so casual about that. Like, at one point, Dr. Scott goes, mm, you're associating yourself with aliens. He just, like, says it so, like, nonchalantly. <laughs> And I was like, uh-huh. yeah, they do just kind of throw the alien part away in this movie. They're like, oh, yeah, you know. And yeah, then, at the end, we're going back home. We did the we did the alien probing that we wanted to do, and we're leaving. And we're, and um, we're leaving. What is your favorite song, the the horror musical drop for this movie? I mean, it's, it's, it's two. There's two of them. There's Time Warp. When you hear the beginning of Time Warp guitar and riff cracks open, uh, the the audience call out is hey riff show us your mother and he knocks on this clock and the front of the clock falls open and there's a skeleton covered in cobwebs in there it's like the most to me i'm like okay halloween has begun the first time that i see or hear that song um and then the other one is is sweet transvestite which is i gotta be the best song in the show i think or the the movie um because I don't know the moment where he comes where Tim Curry comes down that elevator and the door slides again door slides open Janet faints and screams at the same time uh not possible but she does it uh it's there's nothing like it my heart swells thinking about it (laughs) thinking about the first time Mm -hmm. I saw him throw open that cape and reveal the uh corset outfit um and I know that there's so many people who shadow cast as Frank, men, women, uh, and and everything in between, um, that say that that moment changed, like changed the shape of their brain. <laughs> like, oh, Damn. look what a sexy person can be. It can be anything, no- nothing and anything, everything yes. at the same time. Oh yeah. yeah. That's yeah. exactly what I was about to say. I was just like, man, like, just like think of like, you know, like the people that have, you know, done that and performed it and just like that feeling and that empowerment that they get whenever they do that. Like, I can yeah. only imagine like, ooh. And I mean, I have to shout out Touch It Touch Me because I was just like rewatching like, it's like, damn, like Susan Sarandon, what a snack in this movie. Yeah. And then like, I know, she you know, she just like has like these back to back, like, you know, very sensual awakening scenes first with Frank and then with Rocky as oh, well. Yeah. 
So she's just like and really coming out. And I was just like, whew. I was like, Susan, it's early in the morning. <laughs> it's early. It's a great song. I love that they also like get it on in this tank that's like got the full on rainbow like sides of it. Like when he's, when Rocky is born, it's with rainbow liquid that fills up the tank. So you got your like pride flag surrounding them. It's like, it's great. Oh yeah. So much good shit. Like the, the, yeah, I, I always thought that was funny. Like that, that's, uh, Frank, Frank is supposed to be a scientist in this movie. And the most sciencing we see Frank do is measuring out the proper liquids, rainbow liquids to make his yep. man. That's, that's the most sciencing we get from Frank Furter in this movie. Yep. But you know, it's We're, one of those movies that it, you throw it on every time and it's just like, Ah, like you know like like i said like even watching it like early in the morning i was just like ooh, now i'm ready for the day now like yes. you know it's uh um, and it's crazy it's like because now that's it's been what 45 years 45 oh years god. it will like oh my god like talk about like standing the test of time yeah you know? it, it, it you know look the second half gets a little slow but uh, it, it is, does. It, you know, it's worth making it all the all the way to the end to the pool scene, and um, and there is really just some beautiful, there's some beautiful shots in there, and there's some ridiculous shots. There's uh, when they focus on the enter at your own risk sign, and it takes like two minutes on that sign. It's like how long does it take to <laughs> to read a sign? You yeah. can actually spell out the whole thing in this time. Anyway. There, yeah. there's what equal there's movie. equal parts of them like having like you know like mess ups that they have you know but then there's also yeah. just like times of like technical brilliance too like i love you know some sexy 70s lighting like oh the soft lighting in this movie it's so perfect like i mean it yeah. really is so um rocky horror picture show always a classic so to shift a little bit um, to a little bit more of a uh, more recent film, and this was one that I recommended that you watch, it is called The Lore. It came out in 2015. Unfortunately, I'm not really going to be able to do the credits for this one. <laughs> you guys can go and read it because yeah. these Polish names, they are tough. Uh, so... I'm just yep. going to refer to the director. The the Luckily, the cast people don't have names in the movie, except for the main characters, Golden and Silver. So it's like, Golden you know, and Silver. at least I don't have to say any like cast member names or anything either, because they, they're just hard. Great. So the lore, though, is a Polish uh, 80s disco musical of uh, take on The Little Mermaid done by this director and she said that she like kind of wrote it and came up with this idea through like her experiences of like kind of coming of age in the club scene and this whole movie takes place at this nightclub it feels like a cruise ship like it has totally the vibe of a cruise ship this interesting nightclub experience and uh, these these two mermaids, golden and silver, get the uh, get a band to let them ashore and then bring them into the club and start performing with them, you know. And um, the girls, you know, get a taste of what the business is like, and but then also people using them sexually and then having uh, body dysphoria issues as well. Like this movie mm-hmm. is very interesting. But it also has some great boppers in it in English and it Polish. Does. 
Uh, we do have some songs in English, which is fun. But ooh. I loved the I Feel Love cover. Uh, I've been really on a disco kick. So when that started happening, I was like, yes, this is my shit. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, what a way to open the movie with I Feel Love. And like, I mean, I like rewatching it. I was just like, oh, man, I forget like how many of these songs that like I would actually just like listen to just like in every day like i mean it really has like some like jams in here my favorite was the i don't know what the song is called but like i think it's a little past the midpoint of the movie the girls when they get the like cool sort of like faux hockey hairdos that's abracadabra green oh my god that is that's the that's the bring the house down that scene right there is just i mean i've watched it too many times like i love it and that is like kind of just like encapsulates like the movie like as a whole i actually have a clip of abracadabra for you guys so if anything's gonna motivate you guys to listen or to watch this movie just like hear a little bit of this I mean, like it, that. Watch the movie now. Like you, it's wild. Um, it is so wild. I still am like I'm still processing because there were parts that I was like I wasn't like totally following, but I loved their. I loved the way that they. The two mermaids would um, speak in like sonar to one another, like, you know, almost dolphin mind speak mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, or echolocation. Uh, just beautiful. And and the it didn't occur. I knew it was mermaids, but it didn't occur to me that it was Little Mermaid until the lore started coming in through mm-hmm. Triton, the, the punk guy. The punk um, mermaid. Yes. Yeah. I love it. And uh, and I also the last scene, not to ruin it for everybody, but the last scene is awesome. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's very tragic and very gory, and I love. Uh, yeah, you know, I love a I love a good throat. Bleh. <laughs> oh yeah, like a good a good bloody larynx, uh, devouring for sure. Like mm-hmm. um, this movie, you know, to put it through the genre grinder, it has you know, it is another coming of age film. Like, of literally taking, you know, the idea of, like, going through puberty of, like, you know, we literally see a mermaid wanting to lose their tail to get real legs and a real vagina. Like, Mm -hmm. going through, like, a literal puberty almost. And at the cost of losing their voice. So that's where the Little Mermaid lore comes in. And it's just, uh, this movie is just, like, really strange of painting this very specific scene of, like, setting with these very specific people following the band and like the way that the girls like kind of affect each band member in different ways and like kind of put them in different head spaces. So it's just like, everybody's kind of affecting each other and like bringing different things out of themselves and kind of something similar to Rocky horror, you know, Rocky horror, everybody is kind of getting pulled and manipulated in one way or another, but then also attracted and, you know, sexual with it, someone in another way. So it's like, that's where this movie kind of does the exact same thing with um with the two oh, girls. Oh, it's occurring to me that I have to hop in here and recommend to you uh the I think it's it's Russian and I saw it at Fantastic Fest 
um why won't you just die i think is what it's called oh Let that's on my check list on that. i have seen it or no it's but it's on my list of movies to watch though it's on my he, list so this the lord gave me why won't you just die vibes hardcore uh only like if if this is if the lore is the Eastern European Rocky Horror, why won't you just die? Is the Eastern European Pulp Fiction? Hmm. Um, so we're it's there's a lot of blood, yes. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of uh, the same kind of like um, just irreverent, aggressive, straight into camera. The way things are framed, like the filmmaking style of this part of the world that's going on right now i love it because it's just so it's so balls out and like it's and like it's embellishing in it you know like that's what i love i love a movie that will yeah. commit to what it's doing and just like really just like embellish it like i love the the scenes in this one like i mean there's you know the oodles of style like through the the musical numbers when cast members are yeah. frozen while other people are singing and this like imaginary spotlight comes in you know we had that like random scene where the drummer's just dancing and they're like pantomiming like oh the, i love the that. horns like and i i loved all of the all of the club performances particularly yeah. and then but it also really reminded me of Xanadu, which I also watched for the first time really recently. I haven't um, seen have Xanadu. Seen no, I haven't. Someone else recommended it to me as well. I, I think it was another it. guest on the show, I think, recommended it there's to me. No, I mean, there's no horror component there, just roller skating. But oh, like, oops. it is the same oops. sort of like spaghetti at the wall, musical numbers, and many, many an ELO banger in Xanadu. Let me tell you. <laughs> like, oh, yes. you like if you like you some 80s, 70s, and 80s music, you're gonna fucking love this. Ooh, it is also going on the list. Yeah, because awesome. it has definitely been recommended to me, and people have been like, "Oh yeah, this is totally your jam." And yeah. I, I definitely trust people whenever they tell me that. For sure. The scene um, also just did to, to shout out in the more stuff in the war. Uh, the scene where she gets the tail, which where she gets her legs, is I'm gonna reference it as a as a filmmaker all the time because it's beautifully shot. And it is super horrifying. Yeah, it's beautifully shot. It's like gory, like um, and it's very bloody. But then it's also like you know, like I said, like very literal and like the the representation that it has. Which it's yeah. then like followed up with like a scene of like them like having sex and like he gets blood on him from the scars, but really that's like kind of just like referencing like a girl losing her virginity mm-hmm. and like sometimes that kind of stuff happens and it's like oh and then so he it's immediately like, loses interest and then immediately literally loses interest and marries somebody else immediately and devastating which that's the the, like one thing about the movie like the end like how quick that happens that bothers me but it's like you know it is what it is i mean we're also in a in a we had there were a lot of musical numbers that they had to fit in in order exactly and i will sacrifice story for more uh 80s bangers any day yeah at least at least in this genre for the movies that we're talking um but oh man it was like whenever getting to rewatch it but when i watched it for the first time i was just like 
uh, like I think I ate some edibles whenever I watched it because like it like just melted my brain. I was just like, "What am I watching?" And, totally. Like, I mean, there's I, and a, it's, there's so much good shit. It's like the the I want to talk all day about like the teeth. <laughs> oh like, yeah, just the the work is so it's so well designed and it's so uniquely like i've never seen anything like yeah it. they they like purposefully wanted to like make them like you know like more grotesque like uh like versions of the mermaids like my my lady was like how come they don't have the the split tail and i go i go because that's just your perception of mermaids baby i go these ones are like gross and like look like eels kind of yep and uh yeah. still doesn't stop people from wanting to bang them because this movie no. is also very horny and sexual and it has a literal lesbian sex scene, including fish tail, that mm-hmm. that happens in this movie. Like, yeah. wh- how did your brain process that? <laughs> there's so there's so much stuff, and I love that they incorporate. They actually acknowledge pretty often. They're like, "But well, what about the smell?" <laughs> like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The the <laughs> really smell funny. comes up often, and like people just like are like so just like whatever about the whole situation. Like at the very beginning, when they the club manager like meets them, and he just goes, "Oh wow, you really got me this time," and like <laughs> but like still pretty like nonchalant about like, okay, now we have mermaids working. Well, put them to yeah. work, I guess. Like these two I don't teenage know. topless mermaids. Yeah, get them some costumes, put them on stage, and then put them in a big giant martini cup full of water. Um, yeah. Spectacular. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah. It, people need to know about this movie, so I'm glad that I could recommend it to you. And that you I'm very glad that I watched it. Thank you so much for the recommendation. It's a it's a weird one. It's a weird one for sure. Yeah, thank you so much, Maggie, for coming on. I really appreciate you coming on. And we, thank you for having me, my friend. This was great. I was always so excited to talk about movies with you. And if we can do it for other people so much the better <laughs> oh yes especially when talking these specific movies you were definitely the perfect uh choice that i had in mind to talk these movies and uh and glad that we could each grow our recommendations list a little bit as well i got some movies to yeah. watch you got some movies to watch and then we'll come back and compare notes amazing thank you so much <laughs> Ah, I love talking films with that woman. Maggie is absolutely fantastic, like I already said at the beginning of the episode. And unfortunately, because I was running behind on recording day, we were a little bit short on time, so we didn't get to talk the lore as much as I wanted to. But we did um, have an excellent conversation about Rocky Horror. You know, not only the film itself about how fun it is and the musical aspects, but its cultural impact that it's had over the years. It is one of the most important films, not only to the queer cinema canon, but just to genre film in general, I think, in terms of just putting something out that is just so outlandishly weird and interesting and unique but and having the staying power that it has for the past 45 years that's fucking bananas you know what 
I fucking uh, love that movie. Please check out the lore. We actually didn't spoil too much. So if you guys haven't seen the movie, please go and uh, watch that movie. It's a very interesting one. I'm sure I'll reference it a couple more times on the podcast at some point. And I listen to that movie's score and soundtrack now whenever I am roller skating. Ugh. Mm, chef's kiss. That's some really good shit. But that's going to go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Blade Blunt Cinema Club. New episodes every Tuesday. Subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. This week's episode will come on a Friday, and we are doing a mystery medley of horror musicals, so stay tuned for that. Make sure you follow me on social media at underscore daddy disco at bloodybluntcc for the podcast. Until next time, guys, stay lifted. <laughs>